We are currently in a sermon series in the book of Exodus. So today, we are going to be looking at Exodus chapter 3 and 4. Uh, but before we do that, I'm just going to quickly dip into Exodus chapter 2 and just um, pull up a few verses for us this morning to kind of keep us posted on just, you know, what, what, what's going on up to this point that we're going to be looking at. So we're going to be there very briefly this morning. Um, as I was sharing that, we are in a summer series in the uh, book of Exodus. And so this is God's uh, divine, epic, ransom mission to come in the, to the person of Moses to go and to redeem his people uh, that has been enslaved uh, uh, in slavery under the nation of Egypt. And so what I want you to know is that this is a picture. This is a foreshadowing. It is a foretelling of God's greater rescue mission. And, the, and that's going to be ultimately coming into fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we're going to see here a pattern that God sends the one to save the many. That God sends the one uh, to come and to save those that could not save themselves. And this right here is a picture of the gospel. Okay, so we're going to get to that at the uh, very end of the message today. But um, I want us to see th this thread for the entire story that Jesus, of Jesus in the Old Testament. And so uh, this morning we're going to just take, take a look at this particular rescue mission that gets started with this calling of this man by the name of Moses. And so today we're going to be uh, in this transition of, from chapter 2 into chapter 3. And so chapter 2, how chapter 2 ends is that we see it ends with the cry of God's people where they cry out to God and they say, God, save us from our slavery. And what does God do? God listens and hears their cries. And how does he do that? How does God hear the cries of his people? He does it, he answers their cries with the calling of Moses. In fact, uh, we see this quite often. The normative way that God works uh, in this world is that he works through people. Right? He works through people. The cries of some are answered by the calling of other people. And so I want you to think about that for a moment. Right? I want you to think about that. The primary work in this world for God is, is always done through people through his people. You know, on occasions we see a theophany where God comes in, he'll, he'll appear, or we see him send an angel. We see him send an earthquake, you know, in those days. But, you know, these are these divine supernatural appearances. But the primary and the normative way that God works through this world is through his people, right? When God... When the people were enslaved in Egypt, God goes and he sends Moses to send his people out of slavery. We see another example. When the spies were in the promised land and there was trouble, God sends Rahab to come and to protect those spies. God sends Gideon, uh, the unlikely hero, to come and rescue his people from the Midianites. God sends David, a, a, a person, just to come and to slay the Philistine giant and to lead God's people. God sends the Apostle Paul, right, a man, 
just to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and to plant churches all throughout the known world at the time. God uses Philip to preach the gospel to an Ethiopian who takes the gospel to a whole new continent of Africa. God sends Lydia to come and to host and to underwrite and to fund the planting of one of the most important churches in the entire New Testament, and that is the church in Macedonia. God's primary works in the world are through other people. And Hope Church, today, the primary work in the world is done through people, right? It is the local church. And I want you to know that God still answers the cries of some with the calling of others. He answers the cries of some with the calling of others. And so we are a church, we as a church, we are God's um, mission department right, to the entire world. Right, what is God doing in the world? What is, like, how is God sending light to the world? How is he building his kingdom? He's doing it through the local church. He's doing it through his people. And if you are here today, and if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that God has called you to ministry. He has called you to ministry. God calls us first to salvation, and then God calls us to serve the God of our salvation. And that invitation for us is that we experience God in our lives. Right? We give God, we give him our sin, and then he comes and he just, as we place our faith in Jesus, he gives us his righteousness that is earned through Jesus Christ, and he gives us forgiveness, he gives us um, eternal life, he gives us hope, he gives us his Holy Spirit, and he empowers us with this mission and ministry to the world. And so, I want you to know that that is good news. That is good news. Like, that right there is not this, like, arduous burden that is placed upon us, right? It, it is not this religious mandate, like, oh, man, I have to do it, right? No, this is a good gift that God gives us that the God of the universe would invite us to a greater purpose, right? That is far greater than ourselves, out of the mundane, out of the worldly, and he invites us, and he asks us if we would invest our lives to the things of eternity. God works through us, and that we are his. At the same time, I want to say this, God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us, and that's a very important distinction that we need to understand. Listen, God is God. He's the God of the universe. He does not need man. The scriptures say that God is not served by human hands. He's not. So God chooses us and he gives us this good gift to be a part of his mission. And so listen to this, Hope Church. If Hope Church Long Island, if we get bigger and bigger and bigger, but Lindbrook Nassau County, New York, does not get better and better and better, then we are not doing our job. We are not doing our job. 
I want you to know that, that the goal of Hope Church Long Island is not to amass a larger and a larger crowd on Sunday mornings. Right? It's not. It is to assemble and to empower and to send a greater and greater and greater army out there into the world, out there into this county, into this city for God's glory. Right? That is the goal. Our, our scorecard is not to make a bigger crowd here. It is to make a deeper impact. Right? That's our goal. And God's work in this world happens through his people. It happens through the local church. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Moses. We're going to be looking at the calling of Moses this morning. And I want you to, and what I want to do is I want to press in to some words of encouragement to our church as we make some observations, uh, and we, as we look into the calling of Moses. And as, you know, we seek to be the hands and feet of Jesus as well, and we are seeking to be used by God, as a church, to be used by God. Not just a church that's here for Christian entertainment, right, but to be used by God. And so I want to give us four words of encouragement this morning. My first word of encouragement is this. Don't look past your preparation. Don't look past your preparation. Last week uh, in the sermon, uh, we were talking about Moses had, had just been rescued out of the Nile River by Pharaoh's daughter. And uh, Moses is raised in Pharaoh's court and his household. Moses is a member of his family. Moses, who is a Hebrew, is now a member of Egypt. And Moses is learning the Egyptian culture. Here he is schooled in Egyptian systems and just leadership by his grandfather, his adoptive grandfather, Pharaoh himself. I mean, he's getting a PhD in just all things Egyptian politics here. Right? And then... This is what happens. He grows up to the age of 40 years old. And Moses observes some injustice and abuse that is happening against his people, the Hebrew people, uh, by the Egyptian people. And so let's look at what happened in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw the Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked <coughs> this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. All right. Uh, so Moses got a little bit ahead of God here. Okay. Moses, you know, he did not go through a season of preparation here. Moses was just, he had the right burdens but he had the wrong reaction uh, to the injustice that is happening, right? The un un unjust violence against unjust violence that is taking place here. Right? Moses, he had the right burden, but he's not prepared yet, and he's acting very quickly, and basically he's not mature enough yet to lead God's people. Verse 13, it says this. He went out, to, he went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the men in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. 
and he sat down by a well. Okay, so the next seven verses, what happens here is we see that Moses meets a nice family, a nice man uh, who has some uh, daughters. And Moses marries one of the daughters, and now Moses is living in Midian. Okay, and then you go to chapter 3, verse 1, and it says that Moses goes and he works for his father-in-law, tending sheep. Okay, and he's now in this land of Midian, uh, tending sheep through the wilderness. Okay, so, I mean, I want you to think about that for a moment. For the first 40 years of Moses' life, he grows up an Egyptian man. Then, the second 40 years of his life, he, he is leading sheep along the edge of the desert. Now, I, w- I want you to put yourself in Moses' shoes right now, okay? I want you to think, think what is Moses thinking right here? Moses is probably, he's probably thinking, God, like, how in the world did I get here? Like, I was that baby that was in the basket. Then I was a prince of Egypt. Then I was a fugitive that was on the run. And now I'm spending four decades tending sheep, just watching sheep eat. Like, that's what I'm doing, God. What is going on? What am I doing here, God? This doesn't make sense. But from God's vantage point, though, Moses is going through this intense, thorough, customized training and preparation regimen from this explicit calling that God was going to place on his life. I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about that. Like, like who better to negotiate the freeing of Egyptian slaves from Egypt than the guy who grew up in the royal family? Who better? Who better to lead God's people out of the desert for 40 years than someone who has led sheep for 40 years in that very same desert? Right, finding the watering holes, just knowing uh, how to navigate through the, through the enemies, knowing the safe places that are there in the desert. Moses was in a season of preparation. And church, what I want us to know this morning is that everything that has happened to you, your entire life, everything that occurred in your life has been a part of God preparing you for the work that he has for you. Your story, your narrative is not by accident. It's not by accident. And we talked about that last Sunday, right? We were talking about that. We were saying that God is always preparing you. And some of you right now, you're in a season of preparation. You are in your Midian. And I want you to know that God's sovereign hand is purposely preparing you He is is sharpening your character. He is developing your skill set. He is sharpening your understanding of the word of God. He is preparing you experientially for the calling that he has for you in your life. He is with you. He is with you. And I want you to know that in your Midian, I want you to remember that, that obedience in the small things is the very preparation that prepares you for the greater calling that God has for you. Obedience in the small things. He's preparing you. He is preparing you in this season. God prepares us through a season of preparation. Right? Jesus, Jesus Christ, God incarnate, comes to this earth for 30 years, and he swings a hammer with his old man. 
He works a blue-collar job. He studies the scripture. He goes to the temple, and Jesus is being prepared for public ministry that God had for him. Moses here is, after being royalty in Egypt, then he goes for four decades on a blue-collar job. He's being prepared here, preparing him through these small things. He's preparing him for the liberation of his people. So let me just speak into that right here for a moment, especially to our young, our young people that are here. Um, uh, this, is, this goes for everybody, but I just want to specifically speak to um, our young folks and say that, listen, right now, you guys, you're in a season of preparation right now, right? Like there, your times, that, the times that you are studying your Bible, the times that you are spending in the presence of God, the little yeses that you say to God, the little no's that you say to sin, the little temptations that you are battling, this time that, you know, you're taking that test and you, you, you can cheat on that test and you know that you're never going to get caught. You kind of know your way around the system. You know you're not going to get caught, but you decide, you know what, I'm going to honor God. And in that moment, God is preparing you. He is preparing your character. You are in a season of preparation. So don't look past the small things. Your obedience to the small things are very important. I mean, I can't tell you the, the Friday nights that, you know, as a college student, that I would just spend time either reading my Bible or just uh, picking up people to go to the, these all-night prayers that would go from 10 o'clock to 5 o'clock in the morning. And just while my other friends are going out, going, going to the clubs and just partying it out, and I wanted so bad to have a social life. Right? I wanted to have fun, but I just spent time just with God in those moments to be in his presence. Little did I know that God was preparing me in those seasons of my life for what was to come. And some of you are here today, and you're walking through a trial, and you're waiting for a direction from God. Let me say to you this morning that God has not forgotten you. That God is preparing you in this season of your life. He's with you. Maybe some of you are here right now and you are in year 39 of your Midian. You've been in this season of preparation for so long and you are ready to give up right now. I want you to look at the story of Moses to remind you that God loves you way too much to just sh short circuit your preparation. God is seasoning you. God is preparing you. Think about this for a moment. How old was Moses when he received his calling? Do you know how old Moses was when he received his calling? He was 80 years old. 80 years old. That's pretty old, right? I mean, that, that is like Velcro shoes driving a Buick old. That's, that's pretty old right there. And Moses received his calling at that age. And so I want to say this to all of our gray-haired folks. I'm getting there. Uh, but to all of our gray-haired folks in the room, I just want to say this. It is not too late to get a fresh calling from God. It is not too late. These right here are some of your most strategic years of your life. And God has prepared you for this moment with wisdom and experience. And listen, I want to say we need you as a young church. 
We need you as a young uh, uh, disciple-making church that is here. We need your wisdom, and we are grateful for you. So my first encouragement, church, is this, is don't overlook your preparation. Don't overlook it. Moses got a little bit too excited. He felt a burden, and he wanted to jump in, and yet Moses had to go through some stuff. He had to. And so think about how God is using us. Think about how God is calling us. Don't look past your preparation. God is preparing you right now for the ministry that he has for you. That's my first one. My second one is this. Um, Start telling God, here I am. Start telling God, here I am. We need to make ourselves available to God. So let me show you this. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Now Moses was keeping the flock, right? So he's in a season of preparation here. He's going about his everyday experience. He was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro and the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and come to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, a fire, out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the, Lord, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Let me just stop right there for a moment. Let me just say this. Uh, don't we all wish that we would have this experience? We would have God speaking to us out of a burning bush as well. Like, could, could we just be honest with that? Could we just acknowledge that? I mean, this is a safe place because I, I thought that many times, right? Like, I, I thought, Lord, what, would you just tell me what you want from me? Like, I'm, like, God, if you told me what you want from me, then I would walk in obedience no matter what was the cost. I would do it. I would follow you no matter what. But just tell me what you want from my life. All the single folks in here are like, amen to that, Right? You're like, I, I, you know, I, I wish God would show me the guy or I wish God would show me the girl, then everything would be great. Um, but we had those moments where we're like, God, I wish you would just tell me what you want from my life. But let me tell you something. Uh, we need to understand an advantage that we have over Moses. We have an advantage over Moses because we have to understand our place in redemptive history here. We need to understand our Bible from cover to cover. It's very important that we do that. So what we need to understand is that you see Moses in Exodus, he experienced an external uh, manifestation of the presence of God. But if you're a Christian and if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have an internal indwelling of the presence of God in your life. Right? Are you with me? Our access to the voice of God is much more clear, much more direct, much more convenient than it ever was for Moses. Much more. So let's not be jealous of Moses here. Right? I mean, Mo- Moses, didn't, didn't he, he didn't even have the Bible. Like the dude had to write the Bible. He wrote the first five books of the Bible we call the Pentateuch. He didn't have nothing to wor- work from. And so he had to go to the mountain and he, ha- he had to hear from this bush. And so it's important that we understand our place in history. Can you do me a favor? Can you say, know your place? Know your place. 
As a spirit-filled believer, follower of Jesus, you and I, we don't need a burning bush experience because you got the Bible. Right? God is speaking through the Bible. God is speaking through his spirit. And if you're a Christian, we don't need a burning bush experience because we have the Bible of God. We have the spirit of God who speaks to us. And so the question is no longer, is God speaking? The question is, am I listening? It's not, is God speaking? The question is, am I listening? When there is a communication problem between us and God, it is never, is God speaking? It is, as a Christian, am I listening? We can hear straight from God. Uh, To all the single dudes that are here, uh, ladies, if we could just have a moment right now. Um, I just want to say, uh, just add a little caveat to this passage here as we talk about hearing the voice of God. Uh, all the single dudes who, you know, you, you can, listen, let me just say, you cannot go to a girl and you cannot say, who is out of your league and say, hey, you know, God told me to marry you. Like, you can't do it. Some of you are sitting right here, you're, you're sitting next to a wife that you did that to, and I tried that. No, no I'm kidding, I, I didn't do that. But listen, we cannot do that, right? We cannot do that. And I say that to say this, is that we hear from God through the Bible. We hear from God through his spirit. So we don't need a burning bush experience. Moses, though, he heard the spirit of God through the bush, So let me go to the second half of verse 4. Exodus chapter uh, 3, verse 4, it says this. Moses, Moses, he said, and he said, here I am. Here I am. Let's go down to verse 10. He says, I'm sending you, right? Here I am is followed by I am sending you. Here I am is followed by, I am sending you. You know, I wonder if God isn't sometimes speaking to a more specific calling in some of our lives, and we don't hear it because we don't turn around and say, God, here I am. Just a a posture of listening. God, I am available to you. God, this is your program. It is not my program, so you write the script. This is your plan, not my plan. This is, God, your life, not my life. I, I steward my time. I steward my resources. I, I steward just my weaknesses. I steward my abilities, and they all belong to you, Lord. Here I am. What do you want in my life? What do you want, God? And I want us to be a church with that, as a people with that same posture and say, Lord, here I am. I am available to you, right? That's what it means to be a Christian who walks with God, to give yourself to God who has given his son to you and say, Lord, here I am. But at the same time, though, that is a scary prayer, right? It's a scary prayer because it's followed by, well, you know what? Here you are. Okay. Then I'm going to say, I'm sending you then. And sometimes that could be a, a scary prayer, uh, five years ago, exactly like this, almost this day, five years ago, um, my, my wife and I, we made this, this decision um, to kind of get into the church planting world. 
uh, very nerve, very scared. I was very happy with my previous church. I was a youth pastor for 10 years, very comfortable, um, but I had this burden in my heart to get into church planting um, for, the, for the lost, for the broken, for those that had a bad experience in church and create space for those to come in. Whereas in, around the country, there's one church, for every, uh, for, uh, one church for every 800 people. But on Long Island, it's one church for every 4,300. Just the need for churches here on Long Island, where they say that Long Island, outside of New England, is the, pre- is the preacher's graveyard. Churches that are closing left and right, dying here on Long Island. And, and this burden in, in my heart to say, Lord, here I am. But it was scary because then he was like, oh, yeah, here you are. Well, I'm sending you, though. You see, did you know that God usually uses your burdens to give birth to our callings? God usually uses our burdens to give birth to our callings. Well, then, Finn, you know, how do I know my unique calling? How do I know that? Well, let me ask you this question. What burdens has God placed on your heart? Sometimes we see this need in the world. We see this need in our county. We see this need in our city that seems to bother you more than other people. And most of it, most often, it's those cries of our heart that becomes the callings of our life. And some of you might say, well, you know what, there, there's nobody doing that thing, these issues in Nassau County or in New York City. And, and, and no one cares about the cycles of fatherlessness and homelessness that's happening in Queens. You know what? Just say, tell God, here I am. No one cares about the drug epidemic and just the crimes that are taking place in Nassau County. You know what? Just tell God, here I am. He will use our burdens to establish our callings. You might say, well, what about the thousands of babies that are lost before they even have a voice to be heard in our city and in our county? Tell the Lord, here I am, and he will tell you, I am sending you. What about the fabric, the moral fabric of this generation that is just unraveling and unwinding and spiraling out of control more than any other generation in history? Just tell the Lord, here I am. And God will say, I am sending you. Sometimes the cry of your heart will lead to your calling. And so I want us to be a church that is available to God, where we are not looking past our preparation. We are faithful in the small things, and we are a church that says, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Here's my third word of encouragement. Embrace your identity, not your insecurities. Embrace your identity, not your insecurities. I would say one of the things that hold us back from moving to the calling of God that he has on our life is not, is not knowing the calling, but it's more so that it actually we, we get the callings and we process that in our brains, but then we become crippled with all the insecurities and just the inabilities 
and just the inadequacies that you and I, we see in ourselves. And this is what happened to Moses. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 10. It says this. Soon as he hears the call of God on his life, God says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? This is the spot, this is the place where it gets very real for me personally, right? Because I ask this question all the time about myself. Like, I just ask this question, like, God, who, who am I? Right? Who am I? And maybe you're here today and you feel the same way, right? Maybe God has placed this calling in your heart, this burden in your heart, that's something that he wants you to move into, but you are here and you are saying, God, who am I? Who am I? Who am I to act on, the, on your behalf, God? Who am I to lead on your behalf, God? Who am I? And that's the first question that Moses asks. Who am I? And I think what's interesting is that Moses starts to answer this question in his own head before God even answers it. All right, who am I? I'm a murderer. I killed dudes. Like, I killed somebody, and I buried this guy in the sand. Who am I? I'm a failure. I'm a disappointment. I, disappoint, I disappointed my biological family that in good faith had faith to put me in a basket to save my life, and I, I had every opportunity to, in the world to come through for them, but I disappointed them. I disappointed my adoptive family who took me in, and I betrayed them because I jumped ship now. And I'm, I've been away for four decades. Who am I? Who am I? I'm the unqualified. I'm not the international dignitary. I don't, I don't negotiate just, just trades of slaves and, and, and hostages. I, I wear my name on my shirt, and I go into work every day, my steel-toed boots, bring my thermos to work for four decades. I'm a blue-collar worker in the wilderness. Who am I? And maybe you are here right now. And you are asking the question about yourself, who am I? What are those questions that are coming to your mind right now? Who am I? I'm a high school dropout. I'm a former addict. I'm a socially awkward person. Who am I? I'm the guy who blew it. I'm I'm the girl that could never get it together. I'm the guy who takes one step forward and two steps back. I'm the guy that could never come to church on time. No, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm just happy that you come to church, right? Like, you ask these questions of who am I? Let's look at God's response here. Verse 11 and verse 12, it says this. Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? Verse 12, but he said, I will be with you. And he goes on. Who am I? I will be with you. I love that. You notice like God doesn't even answer that question. He doesn't even answer it. Who am I? I will be with you. Basically what God is saying is, hey Moses, this ain't about you, bro. This ain't about you. I I work my way in this world through people, 
Who am I? I don't know, but I'm God, and I am with you. His identity comes not from his insecurities, but from God, from what God says he is. Who am I? Listen to me, Moses. You are a child of God. The truest thing about you is not your past performances, is not what you have achieved in your life, but it is what you have received. It is what you have received, and it is what God says about you. And God says that you are a child of God. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, that you are the temple of God, that you are the dwelling place of God here in this world, that you are God's ambassador to this world, that that you are called and anointed servant of me. You are the hands and the feet of God. That is who you are. That is who you are, and we are who God says that we are. Your identity comes from God. Moses, this ain't about you, dude. It's not about you. I hate to burst your bubble here. You think it's humility? No, it's not. It's pride. It is pride because I am going with you. So Moses here, he works through his identity. Okay, I'm going to be with you. And yet, he has one more obstacle that he is going to wrestle with. And that is his insecurity. Moses wrestles with his insecurity. God goes on and God tells him the plan that he has for him. I'm going to give you a staff and we're going to do some miracles together, Moses. And you know what? I'm going to work through you. I'm going to go before you. You know, I'm going to help you. We're going to do this stuff. But Moses just pumps the brake. We get to chapter 4, verse 10. God says, you're going to speak to Pharaoh. And Moses says, Whoa, 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 whoa. Verse 10, it says this. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord. I like to think that's how he said it, okay? Oh, my Lord. Like, I am not eloquent either in past or since you have spoken to your servant. Like, that's, that's pretty funny, right? If we could just acknowledge that for a moment. Like, I, I, Lord, I never used to talk good. And in the last three minutes that we've been having a discussion, I still ain't talking good, God. Like, I, I just, I just, I'm not. Either in, in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. It's, it's one thing to understand your identity. It's another thing to feel confident in your capabilities. It's, it's one thing to just be all pumped up, where I say this pumped up speech like, yeah, God is with me, I'm going to go and do it. And then we actually, when you actually go there, the question becomes, how am I going to go and do it? Anyone feel like that? My God, how am I going to do this? Check out what God says to him. It says, then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. I will write your script, Moses. He's saying, Moses, who made you? 
who made you the way that you are? We all come to that place, right? We honestly believe that if God left it out of you, then it's not necessarily to fulfill the calling that's in you. Like, let me put it another way. The, the key to the antidote of your insecurity is, is, not going to, is going to the source and just ask the question, who made you that way, right? Just going to the source saying, who made you that way? You go and you say, you know what, if God wanted you to speak better, then, he would have, then you would have spoken better. If God wanted you to be a type A person, you would have been more type, you would have been type A. If God wanted you to have a different childhood, you would have had a different childhood. If God wanted you to be more, you would be more. If God wanted you to have more, you would have more. If God wanted you to be different, you would be different. But God made you the way that you are. Who put that mouth on your face, Moses? The very next thing Moses says is, hey, if you're going to send someone, I can't do it, God. I, I can't. And then you know what it says? It says, the Lord's anger kindled against him. <laughs> like, do you want to take off God? Tell him what he can't do through you. The whole of Moses is, Moses, dude, get over yourself. Right? It sounds like humility. It's not. It's prideful. Moses, this ain't about you. This ain't about your insecurities or your abilities or what you can do or what you can't do. Moses, I am God and I am calling you and I will enable you. And Hope Church, I want to say the same thing for us today as well. If you believe, if you belong to God, I want you to know that your, your identity is in Him. God is the one who is with you. God is the one who empowers you. I mean, think about that. The God of the universe, he is with you. He is with you. And church, I want to say embrace your identity, not your security. I don't want this to just be a clever point that I'm saying up here, right? I want this to be the posture of our heart, that we wouldn't look past our preparation, that we would constantly just be available to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. The last word of encouragement before we close is this. This is going to be very deep, okay, guys? Um, it's this. Do something. The Greek for that is do something. No, I'm kidding. The English is good. Um, do something. After Moses hears his calling and he works out his identity and his insecurity, he, he walks off the mountain and Moses still has a choice to make. He's going to go to Jethro's house. And you see, Jethro didn't see what happened in the mountain. His wife didn't see what happened in the mountain. His kids didn't see what happened in the mountain. And there's nothing that is preventing him from going back to the normal, to go back to what is comfortable, to go back to what is predictable, to what he feels safe. And yet... In verse 20, it says this. So Moses took his wife and his sons, and he had them ride on a donkey, and he went. Can we all say went? And he went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took his staff, the staff of God, in his hands. I want us to look at that turning point. 
he went. Because that is a major turning point right here. He's got some obstacles, some challenges in his life, but none of that happens. Like he doesn't, none of that, he could have just went this way that was predictable. He could have went the way that was safe, but he didn't do that. He's saying, listen, I've heard from God. I don't know how this is going to be. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm just going to turn around and I am going to trust God. And he went. And so I want to ask us today, what needs to be your wince? I know that doesn't sound grammatically correct. Okay, it just go with me on this one. Right, well, what is your wince? What needs to become your wince? He went and started reading his Bible to his kids before they went to sleep and became the spiritual father leader in his family. She went and started speaking to this young lady going through a divorce. He went and mentored a a young man without a father and broke this destructive cycle that intoxicated an entire generation. He went and spoke to his next-door neighbor about the gospel. She went and shared the gospel to a young girl that needed to hear it, to hear that she is valuable apart from what other men said about her and treated her. He went and he took that step of faith that he knew his entire life that God was calling him to make. When God speaks, we have to move. When God speaks, we have to move. How many of us heard the voice of God and yet we have just chosen comfort over calling? We heard the voice of God, but we chose comfort over calling. I mean, can you imagine the stories that Moses had at the end of his life? I mean, think about it. We we know at the end of his life, Moses was not perfect. We're not saying he is. Moses did not bat a thousand, okay? Moses blew it a lot of, in a lot of ways at the end of his life, right? But, but you can, he can look back at the end of his life. He got to witness the move of God and part the Red Sea and, and just walk on dry land. He got, to, he got to lead God's operating system, his operating work, by leading his people who was enslaved in slavery by the most powerful man in the entire known world at the time. Hope Church, I want us to be a church that is filled with people that are willing to say, I went. I went. God said, and I went. I chose calling over comfort. I'm going to end with this. Uh, this sermon was really hard for me. I don't know, for some reason, I was just struggling with this sermon. Even till this, to today, this morning, I lost a lot of sleep just just really struggling with this. And um, struggling with this, just like, Lord, I feel your passion here, God. I want to speak faith into our church. I want to say, hey, we're going to be a church. Like, we want to be a church that is going to change the world for Jesus, that God is still doing a great work in this world, in our county, in our city. God is doing some amazing things. And I thought, man, if, like, if there's anything that our church misses this morning, I don't want it to be this. This doesn't discredit anything that I just said, okay? But at the end of the day, I want you to know this. 
Christianity is, uh, is not about finding or fulfilling your calling. Christianity is about trusting the one who fulfilled his calling. To seek and to save the lost. That's what it's about, right? I want to ch- like, challenge our church. I want our church to be active in the community. I want, and, and, you know, active in the nations and do all these things. But we can't miss this one point. And the one point is this, is that we are all going to blow our calling. <laughs> we're, we're all going to blow it. You know why I say that? Matthew chapter 5, it says this. Be holy as my heavenly Father is holy. Yeah, okay. So our first calling is to be holy. Yet we blow that all the time, right? We blow it because we're sinners. By nature and by choice, we are sinners. We cannot live out the calling of God perfectly in our lives. And so Jesus Christ comes, called by the Father, and he comes in our place And he is faithful to his calling, faithful to his calling to live a sinless, righteous life before God, to reject insecurity and fear and doubt and the lies of the enemy and just walk in integrity. He fulfills his calling to die a brutal, horrific, murderous, unjust death on the cross for your sins and for my sins. Jesus follows his calling into this victorious, glorious resurrection so that we calling breakers, those of us who don't follow God faithfully, can choose, who chooses comfort over calling could be forgiven and be made new in Jesus Christ. He is the one who keeps his promises. He is the one who is who has perfectly followed his calling. And yet he is the one who empowers us by grace to actually live out and follow the God who calls us.